Jeremy and I are doing this series, Why Do We Believe That? And today we're asking this question, why do we believe uh, this, this plan of we want to go back to New Testament Christianity? Why do we want that? Why do we believe that? Why are we committed to that? That's a slogan of the Churches of Christ. We want to go back and restore New Testament Christianity. That's something that guides our thinking and guides our practices, guides what we teach and guides what we do. Why? Why do that? And so I'm going to talk about that this morning. And the first thing I'm going to say about it is uh, that all Christian faith comes from what the Word of God plants in our hearts. And I believe this doctrine, going back to the New Testament, restoring the New Testament type of Christianity, uh, comes to us from the Word of God and is implanted in us through the Word of God, just like everything else that Christians are called to believe. We uh, have our faith, and we are most secure in our faith, when the Word of God calls us to that faith. And that's true for this as it is for everything else. I put three scriptures uh, that talk about God's Word calling us back to restore. There are many, many others that we could look at. Jeremiah six thirteen through 16 From the least to the greatest, all are greedy for gain. This is Jeremiah Uh, being told by God what is wrong with the people. And he says all of them, the rich people, the poor, everybody in between, they're all greedy for gain. Prophets and priests alike all practice deceit. They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. How can you? It's It's a hopeless situation that God is painting through Jeremiah's words. How can you make things right when, when even the prophets and the priests, the people who are supposed to be teaching the truth, when they're corrupt, when everything they're doing is mainly to get paid or to further, you know, their, uh, their position in society? How can, what is there that has the power to, to fix things when the people who are supposed to be teaching the truth are teaching error instead. What's Jeremiah's answer? What's God's answer through Jeremiah, rather? Verse 15 and following, are they ashamed of their detestable conduct? No, they don't have any shame at all. They don't even know how to blush. So they fall among the fallen. They They will be brought down when I punish them. This is what the Lord says. Here's the answer. When when everyone's corrupt, when everybody is following the falsehoods, when even the people who are supposed to be teaching the truth in religion are following falsehoods, what's the answer? Verse 16, this is what the Lord says. Stand in the crossroads and look. Ask for the old path, the ancient path. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. And then he says, but the people say we don't want to walk in it. Right there is that principle of restoration. The Bible often teaches us to restore what God originally revealed. Again and again and again, it's in Scripture. We could have a lot of Old Testament examples of this. Go back 
to what God told you. If you feel that you've strayed away, if you can see that there is a problem, go back and restore faithfulness to what God originally said. That's almost the key theme of the book of the whole book of Deuteronomy. He's kind of pre trying to pre-disaster the Israelites, saying, I know what's going to happen when you get into the land. You're going to wander away. When that happens, go back to what God has revealed to you. Go back. Restore. Hebrews 2, 1 through 3, that's what we read today. Uh, we must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. In other words, there is a standard. It can happen that even religious leaders get off course. Religious groups get off course. But there is a standard. Hold fast to what we have heard. Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Paul, writing to a church, he hasn't been gone that long from evangelizing that church. And he says this, I marvel or I am amazed that you're turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. And even if we, he says, or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than that which we have preached to you, let him be anathema, cursed by God. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you've received, let him be anathema. Let him be accursed. That is a strong teaching. That's not, I mean, the whole New Testament hasn't been written yet when Paul says that. This is the very early days of the writing of the New Testament. But what he's saying is, you've already received key doctrines of Christianity. Don't let somebody come along and say, oh, we like that, we don't like that, we like that, we don't like that. Stay with what you have received. Go back to it. I'm amazed that you're already drifting from it. Go back to it again and again and again. In Scripture, we get that teaching. And you can see why we have that teaching. This world is a world that is so deviant from the will of God, so perverted from what God wants, that God sent His Son to take up flesh within the world. His Son, who actually is the Creator of the world, the one who holds it together by His sustaining Word, He comes into the world, John's prologue says, the world that He made, and, the, and, and he, so He's coming to His own, and His own don't even recognize Him. They don't get it at all. They don't understand at all that this is God's Son. And in fact, we know the rest of the story God in the flesh coming into this world is killed. Killed by people who are supposed to be the leaders, the political leaders, and horribly, the religious leaders. Even people who are saying that they are speaking for God are, are deviant sometimes from God's will, radically deviant. We have, we have, we have, to have a standard to go back to. We have to have that. I mean, you and I are saved, blessed by God, 
given the Holy Spirit. And, and we know we need to have some standard to check ourselves by. That the twisty, gnarly ways of Satan are still tied up in our brains. And, and, and again and again, they will, uh, the, those hooks of Satan will lead us astray. They will draw us off course. We have to have something we can check ourselves by to go back to the Word of God, to restore ourselves again back to what God has said. And, and I will just say this, as a scholar of religion, my studies uh, of the history of Christianity, I actually think this is one of the things that makes Christianity so resilient. The history of Christianity is a depressing history sometimes. The things that Christians do, the ways they get off course, uh, it, it's, it's, it's depressing to study. And yet, I don't despair because again and again and again, in the second century, in the third century, in the ninth century, in the twelfth century, in the fifteenth century, in the sixteenth century, in the nineteenth century, again and again and again and again, people rise up and say, look, we've strayed away. Let's get back to what God originally revealed. You actually start getting arguments like that, no kidding, in the second century. Gnostic teachings rise up, kind of mixing in a little Plato with a little bit of what the New Testament teaches, throwing out other bits of what's in the original Revelation. And people already rise up before they've even completely agreed on what goes into the New Testament. They're saying, but this doesn't, this doesn't fit what we originally heard. We can't go in that direction. They're calling to go back. Same thing, Francis of Assisi stands up and, and challenges the money obsession of the church as it existed in his day. He says, this is crazy. The people who are supposed to be leading the people care more about the quality of the robes they're wearing than about the hungry that are in their, uh, under their keeping. They care more about the, the quality of the food that's set on their table than about whether or not the gospel is being preached to the poor. It's crazy. Well, how is he getting the knowledge to be one man to be able to stand up against that whole bureaucracy, that whole religious bureaucracy? Well, we all know the Word of God. He's able to go back and say, we've got to restore. We've got to restore. I and mean, that's what the Reformers, Luther and Zwingli and Calvin and and hundreds of lesser lights, that's what they were all about. There, uh, thanks to the invention of the printing press, more and more people were actually able to go back and read the text for themselves. And again and again and again, people said, wait a minute, we've way gotten off course. We need to come back to restore what's in the text. We need that. The Bible teaches us that. And we desperately need what the Bible is asking us to do. Go back. Seek the old path. Seek the ancient ways. And dwell therein. Walk therein. I want to make a second point as well. 1 Corinthians 14, verses 36 and through 38. Paul, uh, writing to the Corinthian church, they had a lot of problems. They had a lot of uh, difficulties. He's corrected them on many, many things. And he says this at one point, did the Word of God originate with you? And the expected answer is, no. 
The Corinthians have to admit, no. Are you the only people it has reached? Again, the Corinthians have to say, no, it's bigger than us. We're not the, you know, pinnacle of all Christianity. If anyone, he says, thinks they are a prophet or otherwise gifted by the Spirit, let them acknowledge that what I am writing to you is the Lord's command. If anyone ignores this, they will be ignored. Christianity is not a religion in which each person makes up what they want to believe. Not from the very beginning. From the very beginning, Christ creates within His church an authority structure, and it goes back to the teaching of the apostles. Paul says, I'm an apostle. When I say something, that's way different than when other people say stuff. And this is during the time in which there's really the active gift of supernatural prophecy, the active gift uh, of other kinds of miraculous knowledge that was out there. And Paul nevertheless says the apostles' teaching is the teaching by which we need to judge what we do. What I'm saying, a person who's truly spiritual will recognize that I, as an apostle, when I say something, it is a command of the Lord. And a person who ignores that, no matter what prophecies they claim, they will be and should be ignored. I mean, that's just what Paul says. There is a authority structure, and it gets back to what the apostles teach. When you and I study the New Testament, why do we care? These letters and histories and biographies that go back 2,000 years, why do we even care? We care because these are the, the closest records we have to the people that Jesus picked to be His apostles. These are their words. These are the people that were taught by them. Those words. These are the words that get us back to Jesus Christ. This is the only place we can go to do that. There is authority built into Christianity. Peter says in Second Peter two, Second uh, Peter chapter one, and this this one just kills me because it's so sad. Peter is not expecting to live much longer, and he ends up getting. Uh, crucified in Rome under Nero, one of the persecutions under Nero, as far as we can tell. And so he's writing this letter, and he knows things aren't going to go well for him. And he says this, I think it's right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body. I'm kind of in a tabernacle right now. This body is a tabernacle, and I'm living in it for a temporary time. Because I know that I will soon put it aside, as the Lord Jesus has made clear to me, but I will make every effort to see after my departure that you will always be able to remember these things. What I say as an apostle chosen by Jesus Christ really matters, and I want you to know what I say to remember it later. We didn't follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. We were eyewitnesses of His majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when a voice came to Him from the majestic glory saying, This is My Son whom I love. With Him I am well pleased. Peter is saying, I was there at the transfiguration. I actually saw and heard those great 
moments. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it as a light shining in the dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. Peter says, we are the apostles chosen by God. We actually got to see Jesus and the amazing things that happened with him, and he has gifted us with the ability to prophesy. You need to listen to the teaching of the apostles. That's, what, that's why the New Testament has authority for us today. It's because it's how we plug back into the teaching of the apostles. We have, he says, that gift of prophecy. Above all, you must understand this, that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though humans, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And when he mentions Scripture, of course, he's thinking of the Old Testament prophecies, and everybody thinks of those in that day and age as inspired by God. And, but he said, we apostles have that same gift of prophecy. When we speak, it is also inspired by God. God breathed. And that's why the New Testament has so much authority for us, because it comes to us from God. Because of that, we have the most confidence before God when we follow New Testament Christianity. We have, because of that, we have the most confidence before God when we follow New Testament Christianity. When I see, I mean, I understand Christianity is divided. It's so terribly divided. There are so many groups out there following Jesus and in so many different ways and, and in ways that we can't in good conscience fellowship. And, and so there's divisions, and it's, it's painful. Jesus did not want there to be divisions. Uh, but it's interesting, every kind of Christianity that I can uh, point to, if they're able to make an argument from the New Testament, that's the argument they like the most. The, the current pope was here in the United States, and he did... A variety of things he made, a variety of statements. You can just look through his statements and you can see. If he can make an argument from the New Testament, that's where he would like to rest. He had a dinner where he called in not the dignitaries and the presidents and the senators. He called in the homeless people. He called in the lowest of the low. Well, why did he do that? Well, he's following the commands of Jesus, Luke uh, 14, verse uh, 23, and, and other places in Luke where, you know, that's who you are supposed to associate with. That's how you uh, should have a meal. He's calling back to the New Testament whenever possible. That Everyone is comfortable when they go back to the New Testament. It's a common argument that everyone makes. And we feel less, com we feel confident when I'm doing something that I can base back in the text of the New Testament. I feel less and less confident when I'm doing something and I can't find it anywhere in the New Testament. I feel awkward about that. I mean, it's, it, it feels strange. One of the things that nowadays, it wouldn't have 200 years ago, but nowadays one of the things that separates churches of Christ from a lot of other people in Western Christianity is the fact that we don't use instruments in worship. Well, why don't we? 
That seems weird. Well, really, I don't think it's a very complicated argument. We are simply saying that is something that some Christians do and some Christians don't. When you have a situation where some Christians do it and some Christians don't and it's dividing Christianity, why not go back to the New Testament? What were they doing in the New Testament? Well, as far as we can know, there was Jews were okay to worship with instruments. They had those in the temple. And the pagans were certainly okay to worship with instruments. It's not like the Christians couldn't have worshipped, chosen to worship musically with instruments if they had wanted to. But again and again and again, whenever we would expect to hear a mention, if that's what they were doing, we get silence. The only thing we ever hear is sing. And that's why we do it. I mean, it's not any more complicated than that. I don't think, and I know this is a disagreement among some members of the Church of Christ, I don't think that that argument that I've just given amounts to me being in a position to say anyone who uses an instrument is doomed and, and they've deviated so badly from the pattern that they're lost. I don't think it's that kind of an argument. I think it's an argument that says, look, we are most confident when we do what's in the New Testament as a church group. Let's go back, especially when it's dividing people, let's go back to what's in the New Testament. And I think that's the way we should teach it. I've, I've had this conversation with many people. One of, the, one of the popular ways to explain how a person becomes a Christian today is what we call the sinner's prayer. And, you know, the idea is that you hear the gospel and you believe it, and you repent, and, and then sort of you confess and say this prayer in order to become a Christian. This prayer that says, I accept Jesus into my heart, and I accept Him as my Lord and Savior. And that's what makes you a Christian. And I've had discussions of various kinds, but I'll tell you, in many discussions, the place where people who hold that doctrine are most uncomfortable is that they can't find it in the New Testament. It's just not in there. What's talked about over and over and over and over again in the New Testament is people become Christians by being baptized. That's in there. The sinner's prayer, it's actually, it's, I actually did a historical study of this at one point for an article I was writing. And as the earliest I could date it was the 1950s. The 1950s for this particular form Oh, this is how people get saved. It's a, it's a very, very recent innovation. Well, again, in situations like that, I have very little confidence if I'm doing and teaching Christians to do something that I can't find in the New Testament. It's not that I never, that never happens. Some, the Christ, New Testament doesn't always cover every case, but, but in cases where it does, let's go back to the New Testament. That's what the argument is. There's a third argument that I want to give you. Every division of Christianity is united in respect for the New Testament church. There are a lot of divisions, sadly. There are lots of denominations. This group won't talk to this group. This group won't fellowship this group. This group is fighting against this group. I mean, that's... And that's ungodly. That is a win for Satan. 
Every Christian division is a place where Satan won a victory and is continuing to win it. If you're a Christian, I mean, I understand. It's, it, we've, we've made this mess over 2,000 years, and you can't expect to solve it in six months. But, but every Christian should hate the fact that there is division among the followers, people who call on the name of Christ. We should hate that. Because it's a win for Satan, and it's a defeat for God's final kingdom. And we should be working against it. And one thing that I've found is that wherever you go, I've done mission work in Russia, talking to people who come out of Russian Orthodoxy. I've, I've talked to people in the Middle East who come out of Eastern Orthodoxy. I've talked to people who come out of a Roman Catholic tradition, who come out of a Baptist tradition, a Methodist, Episcopalian tradition, an Anglican They all really respect and realize their roots are in the church of the New Testament. And they realize that if they're doing something that the New Testament church did, the argument's over. They're fine. If they're doing something that's different from what the New Testament church did, that they have a massive burden of proof. They have to come up with really good... And you can see that happening. People really working to say, well, okay, maybe that's not what the New Testament church did, but here are our reasons, and they will lay reasons out. That can kind of tell you. That's a good signal when people are in some kind of a uh, cognitive dissonance situation. They realize, okay, this is probably not great, but here are my reasons why it's okay in this case. Well, what that tells us is what everybody's pulled by is the example of the New Testament church. We all, whether I'm Catholic or Eastern Orthodox or Russian Orthodox or Pentecostal or any other group you want to name, everybody feels the pull of this original Christianity. When we say let's restore New Testament Christianity, that's what we're calling people back to. Let's go back there. And we need to be calling ourselves back to it as well. Let's not... The worst thing we could do the worst thing we could do about Christian division is to tell people, we've arrived, y'all come over here. That's not going to cut any ice with anybody. We've done restoring the New Testament church. All y'all got to do is come and join us. Have we really done restoring the New Testament church? I'd like to see that case made. I like some of the things that we have restored. we got a long way to go, and so does everybody else. We are on a journey, and we need to stay on that journey to call Christianity back to what it's meant to be. I, um, I taught a class for a long time at Oklahoma Christian in which I would give a survey about different kinds of things that people do in worship. I've given this illustration before, but it was just so fascinating to me. And I would, I would just ask people, well, are you, do you think this is okay? Do you think this is really good? Do you think this is not okay? Do you think this is really bad? You know, basically they would give me a range of opinions about it, and we would sort of tally up where the cl- class came out. And I would include the kinds of things that the New Testament church did in their worship 
praying and reading Scripture and singing and giving alms and, and studying the text and things like that. And I would include lots of other elements as well. And, and it depended kind of on where people were coming from, what items that they liked and what items they didn't. Some were agreeing about this and others were disagreeing and so forth and so on. But again and again and again, it didn't matter what the background was of the, of the students that I was giving the survey to. What was fascinating to me is again and again and again and again, the, the acts of worship that we know of from the New Testament, singing without instruments, praying, reading Scripture, taking the Lord's Supper, giving, teaching, those things came out again and again and again as what the whole class agreed on. They had massive disagreements about the other ones, often, I'm sure, on denominational lines. They all agreed about that. And what's interesting is you could give that survey almost anywhere among people who are some kind of Christians, who are calling on the name of Christ in some way, and all of that would be the same. What, what they liked might change, but they would all like those five things, those things that the New Testament church did. Because the New Testament church unites all Christians. Everybody feels loyalty back to that. Everybody feels pulled back to that. And so I think the argument we should make to ourselves and to other people that we're divided from currently is, let's go back to those practices we all agree with anyway. Let's go back to the way things were in the first century. Whatever we can. The New Testament doesn't address everything, obviously. But when we can, we can solve some divisions by being pulled back to what the New Testament church does. And brothers and sisters, I actually see hopeful signs of this everywhere. I see people falling away from New Testament practices everywhere too, but, but again and again and again, around the world, I see people who... Whenever they are forced to figure out, okay, we've broken away from our parent body, what are we going to do? Guess where they go first? Again and again and again, they go back to the New Testament. I see restorations of New Testament practice happening in lots and lots of places around the world. What should we as members of the Church of Christ think about that? Well, they didn't go far enough. They didn't completely agree with us. So, boo. No. Brothers and sisters, can't we give at least one hallelujah whenever anybody takes one step closer to the New Testament? Can't we please give a little bit of praise to God, a little bit of praise to the Holy Spirit, whenever anybody in any church anywhere takes a step back towards the New Testament? Because we aren't there yet. we got a long way to go. And I want them to give praise whenever you and I take a step closer to restoring the, the New Testament Christianity that we read about in this book. We want to go back to New Testament Christianity. We believe that because the Scriptures tell us that that's what we are called to do. We believe that because all Christians feel pulled back to New Testament Christianity. And we believe that because we are most confident when that's what we're doing is going back to New Testament Christianity. That's where again and again and again we need to check ourselves 
so that we can get ourselves back on course, get ourselves back closer to the center of God's will, and get on with the business of God's kingdom work. If you need to respond to the invitation of God through Jesus Christ, if you need prayers as a part of the Christian kingdom, you need support from your brothers and sisters, prayer support, and you want to ask for that publicly, then you can come forward in just a second and we'll pray for you. If you're ready to receive baptism, to begin your life in the kingdom of Jesus Christ, to begin to have those blessings of new life, forgiveness of sins, gift of the Holy Spirit. If you want to take that step today, why don't you come forward as we stand and as we sing.